welcome to Astronomica. I am the Star Daddy. That's what people call me. It's not what I call myself. <laughs> he makes us call him that. Yeah. <laughs> My name is Stan, and uh, this is a Stars Without Number role playing podcast. Yay! Hurrah! We might give him up it. Give him up it. Yay! All right. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, you started episode one, hated the audio, and skipped to this episode <laughs> per the advice you received there. This is going to be a quick recap of the game so far, but first I'm going to introduce the rest of my people here, starting with the one that's not a person. (laughs) In in game as in life. (laughs) My name is Jeff, and I play the MS Admiral Grace, uh, the starship who is inhabited by the fragment of a rogue AI, and Murray Hopper, the medbot who is uh, semi-autonomous and semi-miserable. I am Kristen. I play Hildegard Hypatia Cade, Doctor of Linguistics, and uh, generally considered the most competent member of the crew. Also, ship's morale officer. (laughs) (laughs) Only till we get a dog. (laughs) Self-appointed. Someone is forgetting about Ensign Sparky. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, I've forgotten about Ensign Sparky. (laughs) Hi, I'm Cullen and I play Anton. <laughs> Keeping it tight. The great part about hearing these intros now, gentle listeners, is that we've had a few episodes to really get in the groove and dig into a few jokes. So hopefully you'll stick with us and eventually you'll be right there with us. Uh, hello and welcome, by the way. My name's Cullen. I play Anton Baptiste Yoshida. He is the ship's galley officer, is his day to day job, but he's also a. Um, military veteran so he tends to fulfill the role of the bruiser sort of he handles combat situations and also for some reason like most social interactions (laughs) (laughs) there's a good reason for that i'm colin and i play mackie who is sometimes the uh, ship's engineer sometimes the ship's captain but always the ship's pet Yep. Not to be confused with, uh, what was our morale officer's uh, en- name? Ensign Sparky. Ensign Sparky. <laughs> Ensign Sparky, if he ever existed, was processed for nutrients. Well, you've seen National Lampoon's Vacation. Like, he was tied to the bumper. Oh, no. <laughs> and also, you've, <laughs> you've seen Mackie's pillow. <laughs> oh, no. It is very fuzzy. All right. Hopefully. Can we name him Old Mackie, though? <laughs> <laughs> right, hopefully we didn't turn you off. Too much with our Tom Fuckery. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Fuckery is uh, just one of the free services that we offer here at the uh, Astronomica podcast. For another full list of things in our portfolio, we don't have that yet. Oh, um, uh, just for a little bit of context about us and who we are, this should tell you a lot. We live in the Deep South and we record in an RV. Yep. So. Maybe contextualize some of our... Yeah, we're the uh, Walter Whites of actual play podcasts. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have met you all, and you Tom. guys, your delusions of grandeur are adorable. We are the Cousin Eddie of actual mm. play podcasts. I'm cool I, either way. I still say I could be uh, Jesse Plemons. Well, I think we've shot the shit long enough. How about we do that recap we've been promising you? Let's do it. Oh, wait. Tom Fuckery is the morale officer. <laughs> ah. Missed opportunity. Once Anton 
eventually meets his demise. <laughs> He's played by Harrison Ford. He'll become Tom Fuckery. <laughs> the ship just crashes into a star. Everybody's too busy. <laughs> All right, stop joking. Here's the intro. In the year 2130, humanity achieved spike drive technology, accessing the vastly strange metadimensional pathways to reach the stars. The following centuries were an epoch of discovery and growth. We mastered the fundamental forces, confronted our social demons, and seized the reins of our biology. By 2900, gate technology erased the logistical limitations of distance. Proximity between resources, industry, and labor became a non-issue. World-spanning cities, garden-like agricultural worlds, and orbital manufactories became the norm, and we prospered together. Then, one day, the gates failed. What we built in ten centuries we lost in ten days. Our Edens desolate, our industries still, and our cities, brief orgies of cannibalism and violence, then silent tombs. The year is 4451, and out here beyond the Cygnus Loop, at the edge of cultivation, an ember of our golden age struggles to ignite and burn anew. Welcome to the Rheingold Cluster. And starting from there, what we thought we'd do is uh, we'll give you all a little bit of the story in each of our character voices. So you'll get a chance to kind of meet who we are and get used to how we function. And hopefully that makes sense and you get a kick out of it. So I'm going to go ahead and kick us off with the opening of our story through the eyes of Dr. Cade. One evening, as I was settling into my quarters for a bit of personal research, I received an intriguing message. You see, I am a noted scholar of linguistics with the Reliquary Institute and am well known for my work studying the communication patterns of non-Terran sentience. So well known, in fact, that when a rare artifact depicting a meeting between two distinct non-Terran sentient species was scheduled to trade hands in the new Antioch spaceport, I was the very first member of the Institute to be notified. After reviewing this message, I learned that the artifact had been purchased by a wealthy businessman by the name of Jeff Cho. Mr. Cho wished to have this priceless item languish behind the closed doors of his own private collection on his estate on the water world of Aegea. This utterly shameful act of corporate greed could not be allowed to hinder my studies, and so I made absolute haste to recover such a vital artifact. And here, as they say in the holodramas, is where things begin to get a little more interesting. Not only did this Mr. Cho plan to lock away what could turn out to be a key object in making first contact, he also managed to contract the most unprepared, unprofessional, and, frankly, absolutely inept transport vessels that I have ever encountered. As a ship, the Admiral Grace Hopper is clearly held together with a lick and a hope, as the ancient idiom says. The saliva in question comes from one MacDonald Coburn, or possibly Washburn, he seems unsure of his own surname from day to day, who is nominally the captain. Well, he is the captain on paper, at least, as the ship itself is a virtual intelligence that apparently originates from a pre-collapse artificial intelligence. I must admit that the Admiral Grace is one of the most agreeable persons I have ever met, as she is unburdened by the usual incompetency of the general population. And also there is Mr. Anton, who appears to be the ship's cook, I suppose. Unlike the Grace, Mr. Anton is quite burdened by a generous dose of incompetency, and in truth I am not certain why the rest of the crew seems to hold him in such regard. In any case, I should be grateful for the crew's mental stagnancy, as it made my goal quite easy to attain. To think that they expected me to pay for passage on the vessel! 
No, I informed them that I would instead be signing on his crew and that, in fact, they would be paying me for the benefit of my considerable acumen and academic reputation. Once this arrangement was settled, I took charge of all things to do with the artifact. Given the ease with which I joined the crew, I am absolutely certain that diverting this object away from some shadowy private collector will be quite simple. In the meantime, I have engaged the questionable Mr. Anton to act as my assistant in handling the artifact, and, predictably, he has already managed to break it. Of course, he is the only assistant available at this time, so I shall simply have to make do. Aegea is only a short jump away from New Antioch, and I shall spend the time studying the artifact and considering a plan to return it to the Reliquary Institute, where it belongs. From there we land on Aegea, which just happens to be the place there uh, that I am from. I was uh, born and raised and immediately tried to get the fuck off of that planet. Uh, it's an interesting place. It comes from a miracle of pre-tech gravitics technology. Um, it is a ball of water encased in a uh, harness that keeps the planet together and safe in ways that, frankly, I have no idea how they work. It's just uh, essentially, in my experience, it's like a big space aquarium. So we land on the planet, and after a couple of cocktails and a little bit of sightseeing, we make contact with Jeff Cho's representative, who just so happens to be my ex-girlfriend, Bridget Sakamoto, who also so happens to be a machine-gunning, violent professional athlete slash criminal and possible drug addict which certainly makes things interesting for making the deal go down however we come ahead after some clever negotiation by Mackie we end up getting paid twice which is uh pretty sweet and we did not have to surrender the actual artifact that's right we actually only transferred to Mr. Cho's lackeys the iridium capstone that was on top of the Ukoroyo monolith However, after our meeting with Bridget, things seemed a bit fishy, so we decided to investigate further by inviting ourselves to their party. We headed down to Mr. Cho's submersible estate in order to reconnoiter and possibly burgle whatever we could find valuable and interesting inside, which mostly turned out to be a whole mess of junked-out professional violent athletes. After some mild snooping and a, you know, not entirely more violent than usual game of street hockey, we discovered that our contact was in fact a Mr. Sergei Wright who was held captive inside the estate. We snooped through Mr. Cho's private quarters, find some pretty interesting loot, as well as a secret server room that contained a black box with a functional AI on board. Nope, just a box. Just a normal box. Nothing to see here. I'm sorry I missed that last bit. Could you repeat that, please? After rendezvousing with Mr. Sergey, we are caught out by the raid players and decide to detach our wing of the vessel and float to the surface to escape. However, in a lack of foresight, we forgot the fact that things about the same size and buoyancy float at about the same rate <laughs> and are immediately met on the surface by a crew of very pissed off, heavily armed, and led by my ex-girlfriend, criminals. <laughs> After a brief, intense firefight in which our second favorite robotic companion was destroyed, we, <laughs> we made our escape, narrowly avoiding the embrace of some sort of weird sea tentacle thing. And as far as I'm aware, Mrs. Sakamoto has sunk into the bottom of the ocean. 
Oh, also, I forgot to mention that uh, we discovered that space whales are total dicks. <laughs> Mr. Baptiste Yoshida, you have been promoted to senior freestyling and spitting off the dome officer. <laughs> that was an exemplary effort. After Mackie flawlessly leads the crew to a decisive victory, they reboard Grace and depart El Casa del Hombre Elegante con Serge Derecha y un computadora que alberga una inteligencia artificial. Espere un momento. Soon after departure, attack drones at the estate of Jeff Cho provide another piece of evidence for the inferior durability of human flesh when subjected to explosive decompression, explosive recompression, and explosions leaving only two survivors. The crew decides to demonstrate their innate sense of moral responsibility by making haste for the edge of the system to spike jump to a system where no one knows them. As Grace travels to spike distance, they notice that they are being pursued by pretech drones consistent with the type that destroyed Jeff Cho's estate. Anton and Sergei go EVA, where Sergei reveals the depths of his lunacy. His belief in precognition is as solid as the average meatbag's belief in the myth of free will, and he jumps into empty space at the edge of the system, rather than traveling in a perfectly good spaceship that certainly never would have ejected him into empty space at the edge of a system. Mackie, kind of motive and wise of decision, takes Grace offline, and the ship makes a spike jump for Glacier System. For what I'm sure are perfectly valid reasons, someone <laughs> brings Grace back online at their destination and the ship heads for Apogee Station. A wretched hive of scum and villainy, which is to say a thoroughly corporatized tourist destination for middle management and low-tier executives. At the station, Hildy arranges for the sale of the alien obelisk. Anton and Hopper go to get drunk, and Mackie crafts an ad of such persuasive lyricism that no human would be able to resist, and of such poetic metaphor that I don't even know what it was that he was trying to sell. <laughs> Unfortunately, all is not sunshine and orange Julius in the central plaza of the mall. Grace notices an inbound free merchant, the KCS Trailblazer, heading for the station. While at first nothing seems amiss, and it merely undertakes the sensible move of ejecting half of its human crew unprotected into vacuum, <laughs> it soon becomes apparent that four of the murder drones have stowed on board and are headed for the station. The very station which is currently housing Mackie! Hildy sounds the alarm, and because the station is run by, of all things, a human, has to direct them not to fire on us. Anton carries Hopper to the rendezvous point, where Mackie and Hildy converge. Mackie has the silverest of foxy ladies in tow, who has one of those typical human names like Sarah, or Divya, or colossal dummy who can't recognize excellence in human form even when he will shortly save her from death. The Grace and the Trailblazer engage in battle, and somehow everyone gets very upset when a little innocent sand-thrower blast just happens to do a minor flensing of half the skin from a few paltry dozen people. Mackie fixes up a big gun for Anton to shoot, and Hildy takes control of a squad of PMCs, who as members of the professional managerial class would be normally be close to useless in combat. But these PMCs happen to be private military contractors, and they serve the mission-critical role in battle of keeping bystanders clear so that Mackie will eventually be able to reboard the Grace. All of the drones are taken out, some by the expedient of combining them explosively with critical elements of station infrastructure, and the need to evacuate becomes urgent due to the sudden explosion of critical elements of station infrastructure. Mackie gets back aboard the Grace, as does the crew, and also 200 refugees. 
Now prepare for the most soothing tones and sagacious words your auditory processing apparatus has ever processed. If you are the sort of inchoate pre-sapience who can undergo the sort of mental alteration known as personal growth, you may even experience some of it because you are about to be regaled by Mackie. So there we were, hauling our somewhat mangled gases and a couple of hundred displaced persons from the smoking wreck of the Apogee Aerospace Corporate Orbital Installation. They were a mixed bag, uh, mostly just huddled up mid-level drones and the odd Cinnabon clerk. But there are a few upper management types who start trying to run things, of course. Notably, a Mr. Goulin, your basic room temperature douchebag. So get this, he starts confiscating everybody's personal comm devices. He thinks he's going to control the flow of information about the attack on the station. Well, we put a t stop to that toot sweet. But it honestly wasn't much of a victory for the freedom of free flow of information because our uh, shipwide comms are almost immediately jammed by parties unknown. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Right before our comms get killed, Dr. Cade makes contact with a Lachie de Corvette, the Albatross. It's speeding to join the refugee convoy, and it indicates to her that they are interested in ensuring the welfare of all of their employees currently aboard the Grace. But one in particular seems to be of a concern to them. A fellow named Hannon, who we all thought was an Apogee Aerospace guy. But now Lashi Day says he's one of theirs? What gives? Well, as I attempt to get the facts out of him with my own personal truth serum, recipe, two shots brown liquor, and a jigger of that Mackie charm, Anton seals up his suit and heads for the airlock. Because the Albatross has formed up with us, and they're sending one of their guys across the vacuum towards our ship. A tense standoff at the airlock ends peaceably, and the Lashi Day man, a Lub Gruber by name, boards the Grace and negotiates to take custody of Hannon, who, you guessed it, is a corporate spy. Gulin, realizing that a rival corpse agent is aboard, objects strenuously, and he and Gruber start flexing on each other. I swear you put two corporate drones in a jar and it's ten seconds before they're trying to fuck each other. Probably why there's so goddamn many of them and they all look like Billy Zane. Anyhow, <laughs> ultimately, we settle the matter with Dr. Kate assaulting Gulin, and the MS Grace completely throwing in with Lashi Day, pretty much just because they were marginally friendlier and Gruber had a drink with us. Uh, and incidentally, that is about as good of a window into our decision-making process as anyone could ask for. This did not, however, resolve our central issue. What are we going to do with the rest of the refugees? See, if we put down at an Apogee Aerospace dock, it'll piss off our new friends at Lashi Day. And if we land at a Lashi Day facility, we'll be in trouble with Apogee, which is also pretty unattractive and also kind of a dick move, even by our standards, because a preponderance of our refugees are from Apogee. And other than that Gulen, they were all pretty okay. Stranding them in a hostile port doesn't feel right. It's all a bit of a muddle. Fortunately, we have just the man on staff to untangle this knot. Anton Baptiste Yoshida, the MS Grace's own goodwill ambassador. We dispatch him to the Albatross with Love Gruber, the sedated and hogtied Gulin, and a big packet of stolen Apogee corporate data to see if we can't get out of this pickle we're in with this unique diplomatic touch. And uh, that brings us up to date. Take us away, Gracie. As you say, Mackie. <laughs> Thank you. 
Spike drive. You sure you don't want to say away, Gracie? (laughs) (laughs) And that concludes our recap for the story so far. So you are up to date. I hope that helped. I kind of doubt it. Hopefully you've got at least a little of the story so far, and fortunately for you, we have an episode all ready to go. So give us a listen. Hope you enjoy it. And as always, you can catch us online by going to www.astronomicapodcast.com and finding all of the requisite links to social medias and whatnots. You can also find a link to our Discord server there, which is always open. And, you know, if you listened to this and thought it was fun but had no idea what's going on, join the Discord. Ask us what happened. We're there most of the day. Anything else, guys? You can also drop us an email at I am an inefficient meatbag and have no idea what is going on at astronomicapodcast.com. Or literally any other name at astronomicapodcast.com. <laughs> whatever yeah. your heart desires. Yes, whatever your heart desires at astronomicapodcast.com. <laughs> All right. Well, we hope you enjoy. And until then, have a good one.